0: To Catholic stuff you should know, the J10 initiative. We're ready to go. Okay. AC's on. <laughs> we, we keep it down to like 18 degrees Celsius. Because you all sleep times. cold. That's right. That's I like the, to sleep cold. It's like got to be like cold. a hockey rink. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Father John, Father Austin here back in Rome again. Hello. Round two for you. Uh, in my room. So I changed to, this is Father Jacob Strand's old room. And uh, yeah, we got air conditioned now. We've been spoiled rotten. Yeah. I don't think you guys have that. Oh We do, you actually. Do? Okay. Okay. We have
1: it in our rooms at San Clemente. Because um, remember, I live with the Irish and right.
0: they they're live, not used to the Mediterranean. No, there's certain latitudes that we just kind of, <laughs> we don't go below. That's and right. uh, summers are, I think, I would say unbearable. Uh, it's a, You can't pretend to get any work done right. when it's that hot right. here you can understand kind of the and then you know it's like it's still the fall it's like october it's still kind of warm yeah. it's like hey, hmm. kind of keep it light you yeah. know <laughs> so yeah <laughs> what do you miss you you went home this summer uh what yeah. do you miss most about italy when you're back home what do i miss about italy when i go back home usually people ask you the opposite question
1: actually um um well i have to say when i go back home just the amount of um uh, what do you want to say, frozen foods yeah. and kind of preservatives in our foods and that sort of thing, my body feels it. Yeah. It's just that Italy is, like insists on having fresh food. So I just find that and the amount of food that we eat. So right. I think just kind of the proportion and kinds of things that you eat here. Um, I miss those things. Uh, I've really come to love um, Italian, like the language, and just kind of the people. There's a different mode. I mean, I have no Mediterranean blood. At all, I don't it think is true. you know, yeah. and so it's such a foreign culture to me. But I kind of miss the just the things that you kind of take for granted here that way. But uh, um, so I would say just kind of elements of the culture that way, kind of food and drink culture, and aperitivo. Aperitivo is yeah. one of my favorite things, you know. So just that that kind of it's that's that buffer between your work day and your family social life in the right. evening, and it's just this nice way of kind of gliding into the evening, as opposed to the Anglo American eat dinner at five thirty. And then go out to the bar until three in the morning. You know, yeah. I just think, <laughs> I think the aperitivo yeah. culture is a bit more of a grown up uh, pattern.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> no, it's a, it's delightful. I, uh, yeah, I, I'm starting to think about that stuff, you know, a little bit now because it's it's only November one, but you know, before you know it, the year will be over and I'm I'm back. You These know? are your last months. This is the last months, and it goes quick. So it's like, man, oh man, Italy. Somebody asked me about it. They said, "What's your experience?" And I was like, it kind of felt like. Being stuck with a woman who you hated at first, <laughs> and then over time you're like, well, she's not just crazy and lazy; she's all right. <laughs> There's and something then to it. you're like, oh, I could never I live without her. you. And so Haley's <laughs> going to be one of these kind of mistresses, you know, for life. But uh, well, I think of her as my wife now. She's the wife. Analogy. Okay. Yeah. 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 I. Uh, I don't know yet. I don't know if we're going to just kind of call it after this, but I, I have a feeling <laughs> right. it's, you know, the, the ardent love will, will continue. Because um, it is, it is there's such such an unbelievable experience living here. Um, certain friends have come through town recently who kind of get it, you know? Yeah. They're like, I bet it's hard to explain to people because it looks so romantic. Sure. Like, it's just like, we're just out and all the guys back home. I mean, it's just semi retirement is what we're we're in basically. It's like, what do you do all day? You read books and then you drink a pair of TV. It's like, Oh, that's great. <laughs> Real Tough hard, life. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we feel so bad for you, you know? But it is a combination of um I don't know, some people can just kind of glide into a, and out of other cultures. You're like this, if mm-hmm. the mic was like this. I just cannot. Right? I am just like the world's biggest idiot. It is like, it's been a humiliating couple of years, including yesterday. I'm at the Croce Library and Laurent tous who's like the most intimidating, he's actually a really nice guy mm-hmm. and I can't believe I remember my name, spiritual theologian at Santa Croce, uh, Parisian, uh, very tall, very intimidating. Uh, he would always say, dunque, that was always this kind of dunque. Is this the one who you met
1: like your first year? Yeah,
0: first semester and he remembered me and I almost <laughs> died. Yesterday
1: I saw him, well, that story though. Like, oh my
0: gosh! Because he was teaching in Italian, right?
1: And, and he, he's the one who kind of he comes up to you and he says, "Hey, you know, how's the course going? Yeah, are, you, are, said, you follow, uh, are you able to
0: follow it? Everything okay?" And you just go, "John." No, he yeah, <laughs> he came out of the bathroom. In my defense, he caught me off guard, <laughs> and he just looked at me and he said, "Puoi capire la lezione? Are you able to understand the lectures?" And I said, "John," <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh, wow!" And he just like looked down and walked away, and I was <sighs> like. I'm the world's biggest idiot. So he and remembers you. He remembers me. He's like, oh, and and so he goes, I saw you at the Opus Day ordination, and I said, uh, in it we were speaking in Italian, and it was like, it was like, <laughs> it was like everything's fine, and I just like hit the eject button, and I just like, boom, I just was like, I'm out. <laughs> I can't do this anymore because we were actually having a conversation that I just totally panicked and just. <laughs> Like like an eject button out of like an airplane, just like phoom, I just was gone. Because <laughs> he goes, I saw you at the ordination, and I said, "Yeah, I uh, I was vesting one of my closest friends yeah. at the university." And he goes, "What's <laughs> what's his name?" And I said, "No, uh, I said uh, "O I, j- I I forget I forget yeah, his name. I forgot it. And, <laughs> and he goes, "Well, a really good friend, what's his name?" And I said, "I have no idea." Goodbye, and, <laughs> and I just <laughs> literally walked away because I totally freaked out. It was so dumb. It was like, his name is Alex Graticos, and he's amazing. And he is a good friend. But you couldn't remember that. I name. just, I, I. it was like I had two seconds I couldn't remember, and I was like, I'm out, peace, yeah. it's over. It's hard, though, because,
1: yes, like you say, you're in front of someone that you respect and really appreciate, and you want to give a good impression, and then you're trying to do that in a foreign language, and there's just too much anxiety, and it just, it stops up your brain. Oh, yeah. You can't perform under yeah. that. Yeah, nope,
0: it's... uh. Yep. So that's 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 life here, but you uh it's a joy to watch you interact both in French and in Italian with uh actually knowing the language. Like when we were with Irene's family up in Bologna, this is our mm. our wonderful friend, podcast listener, one of the gems of the of podcast podcast world. Just meeting her was a real treat. That was a real gift last year before she left for Nashville and joined the Dominicans. Um, but I remember watching you make fun of how Romans speak Italian to her family, and they were like crying, and they get it, yeah, yeah. It was no, because the regional differences
1: are—I uh, mean, it's 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 not unlike in the states in a way that someone from Colorado is going to make fun of how someone from Kentucky would speak, you right. know. Um, but they're just much older, you know, these differences, and right. so there's a lot more invested in it, and um, so they all yeah have these impressions that they could do it. It's great.
0: Well, and the dialects are. I mean, people forget, you know, when they come here, uh, we were down in um, with the Quigleys. My parents were going to come over, but they held off because of the stroke. But the of Quigleys, course, yeah. who are like family, they're like my other parents, we went down south of Naples, the Amalfi Coast, uh, for a weekend. And um, we were talking about just how varying everything is, just mm-hmm. going down to the Campania, south of Naples. I was talking to our superior, Fred Berardi, who is a priest of New York, but who was born in Italy. And he said his parents were from... Um, villages next to each other uh-huh. in Puglia, so yeah. on the east side, right. near San Giovanni Rotondo, but they couldn't understand each other in their native dialects because Whoa. her village, like 800 years ago, uh-huh. these random this random pack from P- Provence came and settled that village and they spoke their own kind of mix of Provencal and Whoa. Italian, regional yeah, yeah. Pulese. I don't know what the original language would have been, 800 years ago, and so much so that his mother still spoke that dialect. Now, they nice. kind of agreed to speak Italian in sure. their home. But he was ex- he was saying, he was speaking some of the dialect. And mm-hmm. I was like, it sounds like Greek. And he's like, there is Greek yeah. in it. Well, I mean, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah it's sure. totally crazy. So uh, that was two villages yeah. next to each other. Exactly. Um, amazing. And that was just one generation ago. So, yeah, yeah it's it's crazy how, um, how complex and how beautiful um, Italy is. And I think it's just very unique in that way. Because it, it just wasn't a country... A, it wasn't unified until, you know, 140 years ago, whatever. Well, and that's
1: what, you know, people especially Americans coming here, like, uh it's hard to imagine. But I mean, America is older than Italy in that sense. Yeah. You yeah. know? because uh, the unification was in eighteen seventy. And Italians, I find, almost never identify as Italian. They always identify as from Rome, from Milan, from Naples, right. from Bari, you know, whatever it is. And uh and that speaks to that reality that Yes, they speak the the language. You know, they kind of chose Tuscan basically as kind of like the right. you know the language. But uh, culturally, uh, what we think of as Italian in the states actually has a lot more to do with Sicily and kind of Campania and that sort of right. thing than it does the rest of Italy. Because you come here and there are certain foods you just expect to see, and it's like, well, actually, no one eats spaghetti and meatballs here. <laughs> <laughs> and then they do eat like a lot of eggs. You know, yeah. for example, you are like, really, it's yeah. Italian food? I yeah, absolutely. So it's just um, it's a fun thing to kind of come. And see that. And uh, America doesn't prepare you very well for that, in that America is a bit insular just because we're so big. right? Uh, and just because we have a bit of a cultural dominance right now that we don't really have to speak other languages and right. that sort of thing, that it keeps us from experiencing that. But when you come to a place like this and you kind of jump into it it, uh, it, it broadens your horizons. But you do have to go through those experiences of being humiliated and trying oh, yeah. to speak this language. And
0: Some of us bear know. a heavier cross than others. So <laughs> I'm not an auditory learner, as I told Goebel one time, and he always <laughs> makes fun of that. But yeah, I learned that one the hard way with uh, my friend Beatrice Sullivan, who I look forward to meeting, who's yeah. um, French from outside of La Rochelle. Um, I asked her one time, I said, do you identify more as an, Ameri- as an American or as a European? And she goes, what's a European? Yeah. I was, like, I was like, oh, yeah, that's... That's it, and that's you know? an even newer reality, right. comparatively. You know, right. it's a big deal right
1: now. People talking about that because it, yeah, talking about being a European has so much kind of political baggage
0: right now. Right, it's a right. different thing. Yeah. Well, shifting topics here. Speaking of kind of dialects, maybe move to hairstyles. Um, okay. Father Mike, Rapp, Did you see his hair before he left? Um,
1: I think so. Like whenever you finished the grand fondo, that hairstyle. Or no, it? this was
0: like the last forty eight hours. No, so I did not. Okay, see that. rat tail. Total shaved ragazzo cut. Really? But like a legit rat tail. Wow. So you got the rat tail, you got the gobel mullet, which is like, it's it's like, I think it's got vegetative... Like existence now, sure. I, I think it, there's something animating it. it. It's a separate kind of being, you know. But
1: you, you probably have to condition it less if that's the case. That then.
0: is true. Well, right. actually, it's funny about that. I, <laughs> I one time mentioned on a podcast, is he okay
1: that we're talking about his mullet? Like yeah, this? absolutely.
0: Okay. Uh, well, he's probably not, but <laughs> okay. I could care less. Um, he has a mullet. The guy has a mullet. People yeah, are going to talk pictures. about the mullet, you yeah. know. And people want to see this mullet at the C conference coming up. Okay, oh, you know? y'all are
1: going to that, right? Right.
0: right. Are you going? I'm going. You're going. I'm going because of him, right? Okay. But he's bringing the mullet. So we're five in total, right? The oh, four, the four, four of you. Four hosts the and mullet. the mullet, right? Yeah, yeah. So my brother made this t shirt idea with the mullet on it. Uh huh. And I, I showed you this. I'll show you again. And I just want to hear your objective opinion as a, you know, respectable man, but sure. also, you know, still working with college kids. Would you wear that t shirt? Let's see. You here. Can describe, Do I describe it? Yeah, you can describe so
1: it. So it's a sort of um, lime green t shirt. It's a pro. Oh, the color's
0: going to go. Oh, Aunt, the color's going to yeah, go. Anne okay. Lacoco, I okay. ran that by her and she some others, no and she goes, I would never be caught wearing lime green. So you're she's stick with like kind of. primary
1: color, probably. Primary color, yeah. Okay. yeah sorry. So anyway, the color is irrelevant at this point. Um, you have a profile shot of Father Nathan. Yep. Um, the mullet uh, is in full view. Well, kind of half view, but it's obviously being showcased. Uh, it's highlighted. It's kind of got some shimmers yep. coming from it. It's curly, of course. Um, and then under under the profile shot of Father Nathan, you have uh, it just says um, "Let us," as in the vegetable. Yeah, let us pray.
0: Right. Yeah, that's it.
1: I mean, the green does help with the whole lettuce idea.
0: I didn't even think about that. Sorry, Anne.
1: So if you get rid of the color, it's going to lose a. Yeah,
0: it's a good point. Yeah. Okay, we'll have to think about that.
1: However, you asked me if I would wear this.
0: Yeah. Hmm. If you were a twenty-year-old college kid at a C conference, listening to the podcast,
1: <laughs> uh, would I? Uh, why don't you pray about it? Yeah, I, I th- yeah. Let us pray. I
0: don't know. I think. Um, Do you get the shirt? You're not I a get- lax. You're not a lax, bro. The lettuce, man. It's all about the lettuce. Yeah. Okay, you got that. Yeah. Also, that's what the the
1: the mullet's actually supposed to be styled as. That's lettuce. his lettuce. Gotcha.
0: There you go. So that's a, that's a. Yeah. Those dots had to be crossed for me. That's or, okay uh, connected for yeah. me, actually. So, anyways, you think about that. This is a potential shirt. We're gonna see if it happens, but we're trying to actually get some merch going here after nine years of I've always kind of wondered it, about
1: that, I have to say.
0: We are such a
1: like you've never cluster. had like bumper stickers or t shirts or <laughs> we're
0: a, we're a family. We I mean, we're just a messy yeah. family. We can't get things going. Sure. Um it's always been like that. We're extremely unprofessional, but it's kind of charming. So
1: but I like the Catholic Stuff logo.
0: Yeah, my friend did that in Boulder. Could you just make a T-shirt with
1: that? Yeah, is that controversial? That's, that's I don't know. Like well, in or this.
0: is that too lame? You know, that's the question. So, anyways, if you're listening to this and you have thoughts on it, um, write us. Right, we want to hear your opinions. So, especially if you're going to see, yeah, conference.
1: some crowdsourcing for ideas. There you go. Not the worst thing.
0: Okay, to the topic. Okay, that was plenty. Is that plenty of banter? Hey, I love this. Makers are drinking. By the way, great this to makers... be with a true Kentuckyite.
1: The maker, you know, because makers is the uh, official drink of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Is it? And when you make an official visit to the governor, uh, often he will present you with a personalized maker's market Fantastic. bottle. Fantastic. And you can get them made for like, because they make like, because you know, it has the red wax. That's yeah. the thing. You can get them with gold wax uh-huh. and have like a little plate for a certain anniversary or oh. birthday or something like Finishing that.
0: Finishing your dissertation. Oh,
1: yeah. There we go. Yeah. Also, if you go to Loretto, where they make Maker's Mark, you can dip your own bottle. Yep. You can also kind of chip in. I don't know if it's chip in. You can kind of buy part of a barrel uh, when it's made. That's cool. And you can kind of follow its progress. Yeah. And then you have, like, first rights to buy, at least in the past you could do this, kind of first rights on buying, you know, the first 20 bottles in that barrel or something like that.
0: How far is Loretto from Henderson, where you're from?
1: Uh. How far does it take? It'd probably take about two and a half hours to get okay. to Loretto. South? Uh, kind of straight east, oh. actually. Because I'm from the very far western part of Kentucky. Right. Kind of where Illinois, Indiana, and Kentucky all come together. Gotcha. Yeah. Henderson's on the Ohio River, the seventh biggest, eighth biggest city in Kentucky.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's very wow. nice.
1: Hopkinsville beat us out a few years ago. Bastards. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Can you say that on the podcast? Yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. Very good. All right. So, should I start now? You're up. No. Um, So, today is All Saints Day. Uh, We're entering into November, and the whole month of November is typically consecrated to um, thinking about praying for the dead, uh, because of All Souls Day that we'll celebrate tomorrow, or commemorate, as it were. And so, I just wanted to kind of um, just chat with you a bit about, uh, first of all, kind of remembering the dead, praying for the dead, saying Mass, that this is one of those... Kind of particularly Catholic topics, mm-hmm. um, particularly when you're talking to Protestants, this is kind of one of the um, um, what do you want to say? Kind of neuralgic points, you know, of doctrine and just kind of our own kind of understanding of the community of saints, efficacy of prayer, grace, judgment, all of that. Um, it's funny enough I, in my experience, just as a priest, but just also as a kind of a believer, it's actually something that we share. There's a, there's sort of sort of basic um, sentiment, I think, among most people that when our loved ones die, we actually have some sort of link to them somehow. uh, And that within the faith, we have it sort of formalized, you know, in a way. And it's actually something that we can share, I think, with a sort of basic human sentiment as well. So
0: just a a few things that I wanted to say about that. Just kind of first, sort of the... Do you think that sense Mm -hmm. of we still are in relation to the dead, Mm -hmm. do you think that's a basic human kind of religious sense? Or is that like a post-Christian thing that we're just have kind of imbibed that, you know, like the post-Christian world kind of has these kind of basic sentiments, but...
1: I don't know, because like the Romans, you know, they had this sense that they had a sort of linked their ancestors mm. and that like your the household was kind of protected by the, the ancestral spirits of the family and these sorts of things, mm. you know, and then I don't know about this sort of thing, but like I know within certain, I should say, East Asian cultures, so certain parts of Chinese culture... um they have this idea that you have this link to your ancestors in that way. And so I think it's, I think it's human, actually. And I think it just comes from biology, actually. Yeah. You, you know, um, at a certain point in your consciousness, you know that I came from somewhere. right, And that this is just how human beings work. We come from each other. And that when you die, the fact that I came from somewhere else from someone else doesn't go away, it seems to me. I don't know. That's just, I made that up off the top of my head just that's now. That's good. But yeah. I just think, I think I, there's something basic and yeah. human about it, honestly. Yeah, that's good.
0: Yeah, that yeah. It's, it's kind of built in. I think when you study the history of religions and certainly kind of the kind of primitive natural religions, mm-hmm. you know, um, you see that certainly there's always a call to the dead. Yeah. Always. There's always some kind of connection to that. I mean, we're talking, you know, um, back, back, you know, tens of thousands of years before Christ. We see artwork that's connected to the cult of the dead. That's some of the earliest human artifacts that we have, you know, from, um, from you know, prehistoric man.
1: So. Even cultures that don't really think about an afterlife at all seemingly still have a connection to the dead somehow, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. That you kind of keep your the memory of your ancestors alive by remembering them, and that, that there's a sort of immortality that comes from that. There's a sort of formalization of that in Judaism, but, yeah, it's... Um, Anyway, I just think there's something kind of interesting and kind of cultural about it, mm-hmm. you know, um, and particularly in older Christian cultures, you see this, you know, in the states, particularly with kind of central, uh, Central American cultures and this sort of thing. I've got very big on this, mm-hmm. but then here in Europe too. I mean, just like last few days, I don't know about you, but Italian friends of mine, um, they have this great. Another part of Italian culture is that if you have a holiday like on a Thursday, oh yeah, they'll. Fare ponte. ponte. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you make the bridge. Yeah. That means
0: you just take Friday off. It's a right. well, four day weekend, which in America we wouldn't do. I remember the first time I heard that, um, they asked me, you know, how are you going to make the bridge? And I was like, what? Yeah. This is like I was studying, Italian. because the feast days are still Christian holidays. Yeah. Here. It's not first Monday of September. Right. So it's, it's December it's, 8th. It's, it's All yeah. Saints Day. So you're Fare a Ponte. And so, but I've, like,
1: the last few days, it's not so much tutti santi or ogni santi, you know. It's, um, like, my professor, the other day I was talking to him, he's like, I'm not going to be around that day, perché, scendo per i defunti, you know, Mm. I'm going to go down to Puglia, where is he from, where he's from, uh, for the dead. Yeah. And so the idea is that uh, a lot of people go home around this day to, yeah, go to Mass and to kind of pray with, and with their family and pray for their, their loved ones who have died. It's kind of a deep thing in the culture here, which, and again, in America, there's some of it, within Catholic culture at least, you know, people having Masses said and on the anniversary of death, kind of doing that sort of thing, but uh, it's very deep in the culture here such that people will travel and take days off from work and that sort of thing to do it.
0: They're still connected to their roots, I feel like, here, and that might change in the next few decades, but um, you still know where you're from. Because yeah. your parents are probably from that village, and then generations after generations are from that village. And in, in states, it's just kind of like they went here and here and here, and then Europe or whatever it was. Yeah. You know, or from a different country. Because um, I just feel like I wouldn't even know where to go. Sure. In terms of if I went to you know, Minnesota, Montana, or Oregon, or, you know, for just my grandparents or these Yeah, things, sure so, enough. Yeah. So, no, it's
1: true. Because when you talk to Italians, you ask, like, where they're from. They're like, well, I'm Roman, but. Yeah. Of, extra- of like, you know, Calabrese extraction or something right, like that. Right. They'll always kind of mention that. Right. That's true. But I wonder if that'll go at a certain point, yeah. No, so I just thought, you know, particularly tomorrow, we have the commemoration of um, of All Souls. And just to speak, just a few things about that. Just kind of interesting things about it. For example, priests uh, celebrate three masses on that, or they can celebrate three masses, Um and I just kind of think, okay, well, why do we do that on that day in particular? Um, it's clearly sort of the liturgical way of emphasizing this um, the fact that we have a real um, connection uh, to those who have gone before us. And that our prayer is the way that of actually having some sort of interaction with them and actually doing them some good some way. Um, and that priests are able to kind of celebrate three masses on that day uh, because of that. Christmas is the other time that priests can do that. Um but it just seems to me that it's it's that um, link to that part of the church um, by which in our charity in our intercession in a real sense, um, we're able to kind of help them as opposed to what we celebrate today uh All Saints' Day, which is really the charity of the saints in heaven, which in heaven charity is transformed into intercession, and they help us here on earth here and now it seems to me
0: i um and and all saints. Or and all souls begins the month of praying for the dead, so it's not That's just right. that day. Yeah, um, I just is kind of a tangent story, real yeah. quick. But I um, was hanging with my grandmother who just celebrated a birthday, but I will not name her age because <laughs> she would kill me. Is this uh, Mimi? This is Mimi. Yes. Yeah, so let's just say she's getting up there. Uh, she's way up there. She's uh, a grandma. She's a grandma, and yeah. she looks amazing. Right? Uh, actually. Speaking to Kate and Grace, we were at a at a wedding and my sister wore this like bright pink dress. And she goes, Give me that.
1: <laughs> oh really? Yeah, this is like before.
0: She goes, I'm taking that. I'm wearing that today. And she had to swap <laughs> her and she took it. And she wore this like hot pink dress. She looked great. See so your grandma and your sister changed clothes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, this is how it works. That doesn't the, happen very often. Barger family. Yeah. <laughs> She looks amazing. Oh, these are the barges. The barges. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we created a French word because of my cousin Allie. I don't know if Allie listens to the podcast. She's in Paris and she's fantastic. One of my favorites favorite cousins, and she. Uh, but we call it Bargealité. the bargalité.
1: The bargalité. Yeah, yeah. That's which
0: right. when, when she would do something crazy like, uh, like not have her train ticket and not have packed and, and her phone's not charged. <laughs> her phone's not charged. <laughs> phones never bargalité. Um, sorry, that was a big tangent. Uh, I was talking to my grandmother, and I was like, just trying to get as much out of her about the family genealogy, because we got all these, yeah. these that's the German side, because she's a Hauer, and the Hauer's married Zwebers, and the Zwebers married Wagner, so I told <laughs> Brady Wagner, I'm 7% Wagner. He wasn't excited at all, totally freaking <laughs> underwhelmed. Yeah. I was like, man, you're so German. He didn't <laughs> even care at all. Um, but anyways, I've decided that I'm going to pray for, I'm going to offer Mass in the month of November for my... Gene from my genealogy. Oh, that's tree. great. Yeah. Because yeah. I just all of a sudden I can trace everything back to Germany, Prussia, 1850s. Mm. Um, and it's just like there's a lot of souls. We found a dozen of them who were uh priests or religious. It's like three four generations back. Wow. Amazing. But I just was like, this is like a an opportunity for me as a priest to kind of claim some spiritual authority, but also I think a mission of intercession. And it's not just our priesthood, but all of us are priests by our baptism and and we have a responsibility for the dead and for our, our lineage, you know?
1: No, and that's the point, honestly, that I want to make at this point is just to say it's just part of Catholic culture. It's just part of the Christian mystery that we have this link to the dead that go before us. Our family, obviously, are particularly important to us, but that we can do things for them and that our prayers, having Masses said, or priests who can say Mass, but, you know, having Masses said for them Again, just kind of uh, extends that communion, extends that charity that we have in the church and that the Eucharist gives us, but that also that our prayers. And so, in the month of November, to take up a certain prayer that you just say every day for the dead, even if it is just kind of eternal rest, grant unto them, O Lord, and let the you know uh, what is it off the top of my head, I bet you will light shine upon. Them. After half a bourbon, I can't do that off the top of my head. Um, but uh, you know, but just kind of every day to do that, or maybe to find you know, just get a list of your of your family members, you know, who have died. And just in the month of November, take every day and pray for them in some way. Um, in, as a Dominican, in the order of preachers, there's this saying that goes around within kind of geeky religious circles mm-hmm. that um, the, the best of life is to live like a Jesuit and to dine like a Franciscan and to die like a Dominican. So supposedly Jesuit house is really nice. Okay. Franciscans, th- their food is supposed to be really good. Okay. But then Dominicans have kind of always been known for uh, just praying for the dead uh, yeah. in a sort of, I was going to say excessive, but there's no such thing in that sense. Um, but just that uh, we have like th- this tradition that when a friar is dying, uh, everyone goes to his room and sings the Salve Regina, mm. you know? And so I've done that a few times and it's incredible. Really? And the number of times that guys will die as soon as you're done singing the Salve, it's really incredible, you know. That's amazing. And so just this sort of accompaniment, you know, of our lady, but just also of the brethren in that moment of death and just seeing that as a a deeply holy moment, you know. Um also in our houses, um in the old days, we would pray the office of the dead one day a week. That would just be the divine office for the day. Wow. Um, but nowadays, whenever someone dies in your priory, you have to pray the office of the dead at some point in the day. Everyone in the province prays a rosary for that guy. Uh, if you're a priest, you say a mass for someone who's died. You have to do that within a certain period of time. Um, uh, in all of our houses, we have a weekly mass for all the faithful departed. Three times a year, we pray for certain kinds of people in our life, so benefactors, Family, deceased brothers and sisters, and so it's just kind of always on our mind this way that this just this work of intercession Mm. for those who have died, and it just kind of becomes part of our culture. And again, uh, I'm a Dominican. I just kind of that's just part of our life. But I just think it it speaks to something within the Catholic soul that just kind of says this is part of our life um, to to continually have these people and this reality before us, and to have that be part of our prayer life. And because especially in American culture where we try to avoid death. You know, you go to the hospital, we talk about passing away, we don't talk about dying, you know, these sorts of things. Um, Within Catholicism, we don't, as tragic and as sad and as hard as death um, almost always is, um, we don't see it as this moment that is just this thing to endure, but it's actually a really holy and consecrated moment that we have to prepare for, but that we also um, revere and hallow even after it's happened.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, in that sense. Yeah, Yeah, that's beautiful. we have a tradition in the diocese where we offer three masses for every priest who dies. Mm. Um, I haven't been the best about it, so you're inspiring me to be like, I got to get, got to get going on that. Yeah, get you your know? little book out, get know. the book out. So, Very well, I nice. found
1: this thing. I was going to ask you about this, but um, I found this thing online the other day, just kind of reading through Catholic news things. Um, there's this thing in Denver called Night at the Cemetery. Do you know about this? I don't know. Uh, So there's some group that organizes taking people to cemeteries and kind of praying for the dead during the month of November. Nice. Yeah, in Denver. Nice. I don't know. So look it up. I'll have to check it out. Uh, We have Mount
0: Olivet Cemetery, maybe.
1: Yes they were talking about it was that cemetery yeah. in particular they were talking about but that's another thing that happens here in Europe very often particularly like tomorrow oh
0: Campo Verano tomorrow yeah,
1: the big so there's this big kind of like it's like a city of the dead yeah uh, it's just this huge kind of neighborhood of Rome that's a huge cemetery yeah tomorrow it'll be packed yeah and there's flowers cellars outside and actually to the Vatican some office I can't remember which office it is uh, they hand out little prayer cards for people to say prayers at the at the tombs of their of their uh, family members and this sort of thing. But also just kind of visiting the cemetery, visiting your loved ones who have died. Um, again, is one of these kind of practices a lot of people do in November. Um, but also here, like in Rome, I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a few of the circular buses that go on Sundays, and they're called the Cimitero. Have you seen that? No. I think the idea, I don't know, but I think the idea is like on Sunday, go to your one c- of the things you do is you go out to the cemetery, yeah. pray for your loved ones. After your big pranzo, after you have your big walk and, you know, something like that. Mm. Um, But just that the month of November is the time to kind of take up these sorts of practices. Which again, being in a non-Catholic country like the States, uh, some of this doesn't really exist in the same way. Although I have to say, like, like my grandparents, um, like if someone died, you know, my grandma would always go to the parish and have mass said for that person pretty quickly, you know? And then like when my grandfather died, my grandma has masses said kind of every year and she will go to daily mass that day, right, you know, right, make right. that happen. Um, those sorts of things. And I think, again, they were part of a culture that we kind of lost for various reasons. Uh, I think it's kind of time to, to bring some of that stuff back up actually. Yeah. But just, I was also thinking, okay, so what's sort of the theological foundation of that kind of prayer for the dead? And so, like, in the catechism, there's a few things. Um, I've heard you read catechism quotations here. That's right. You got it. Um, So, uh, but just this idea of our communion, because November really kind of highlights, I think, the communion of the church. Um, And so the catechism says that there are three states of the church, uh, that when the Lord comes in glory and all his angels with him, death will be no more and all things will be subject to him. But at the present time, some of his disciples are pilgrims on earth. So that's us. Others have died and are being purified. Those are the souls in purgatory that we pray for, particularly tomorrow, throughout the month of November. While still others are in glory. These are the saints in heaven. And then they're contemplating in full light God himself triune and one, exactly as he is. But then there's also this other uh, statement kind of in the same section of the, par- uh, the Catechism. This is paragraph 958, where it says, uh, communion with the dead. All right? In full consciousness of this communion of the whole mystical body of Jesus Christ, The church and its pilgrim members from the very earliest days of the Christian religion has honored with great respect the memory of the dead, and because it is a holy and wholesome thought to pray for the dead, that they may be loosed from their sins, she offers her suffrages for them. That's quoting 2 Maccabees. Um, Our prayer for them is capable not only of helping them, but also of making their intercession for us effective. All right. And so again, it's it's deepening that uh, charity, Mm -hmm. which really is... Um, how do you want to say, it? the heartbeat of the church, um, but it's kind of trying to enter into and kind of and deepen that link of charity that we have. And then the, the next paragraph just says that there's this one family of God that's highlighted in this. For if we continue to love one another and to join in praising the most holy trinity, all of us who are sons of God and form one family in Christ, we will be faithful to the deepest vocation of the church. And so what's the, full, the deepest vocation of the church is to be united mm-hmm. as sons and daughters of God towards the Father and towards triune, the, the life of the Trinity, I think. Yeah. You tell me, ecclesiologist, you know. But of what's course. the vocation of the church of course, is yeah. to have that unity and charity towards God. Yeah. It seems to me. No,
0: that's good. Don't ever be bashful of quoting the catechism. Catechism okay. is amazing. And the older I get, the more I appreciate it, you know. Because at first, when I was younger, it was like, oh, catechism, whatever. Serious, but it's like, yeah. this is like, this is really great.
1: Well, you know where I got that? When I was finishing up a uh, college seminary at St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota, I went to some of our professors, yeah. and I said, look, I'm about to go to major seminary, uh, I'm about to study theology you know, at a graduate level in a serious way in preparation for priesthood, what should I, how should I think about this? And Dr. John Boyle, your friend and mine, mm-hmm. um, he says, one of the things he said to me that day that I'll never forget, he said, um, use the catechism, study the catechism, use it for your prayer. And teach out of it when you teach cate- when you're teaching RCAA, when you're preaching. Always use the catechism. Mm. It's an incredible document, um, and it gets poo pooed by theologians too often.
0: Yeah, you know, that way, absolutely.
1: So I'm I'm not read
0: your catechism. Yeah. I would I would add two different uh, uh, points to this. Yeah. In addition, um, I went to a funeral uh, one time. This was long before I was a priest's uh, family friend, and it was a Catholic funeral, and they everybody was talking about how she had died and now become an angel. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, you know? Um, so just the first thing to say, it's just like there's not a substantial change in terms of like you don't become <laughs> an angel uh, when you die and um, that there's a real, that you're still part of the human family uh, and there is kind of this strange kind of tension, uh, your body separated from your soul, but um, the kind of the one family of humanity um, is, is still intact and i and right. it's not just kind of some kind of i don't know you don't just become some kind of elusive thing and i yeah, think that's as really important yeah if that important. were the goal right as well right yeah. to just yeah become an angel and so you, you don't you don't become an angel um but there's actually kind of as thomas talks about there's kind of an irregular irregularity to the life when you the soul is separated from the body and so um they need our prayers we're still in, united to them um and then the second point is just to say that um we're not just kind of loosely united to them and you know you've been in the parish like um you have a full spread of um funeral experiences mm-hmm. i've had deeply faithful people and i've been like moved almost to tears i would say as a <laughs> as a german um uh over um the way that they were expressing their faith and then there are other people who just who are kind of grasping for anything and they say things they don't necessarily understand sure. or mean and a lot of that is like um, I would summarize by saying, there's not really a connection to them from the Christian perspective, apart from Christ. Yeah, and I would preach this to them, you know, as gently as possible, but just to say, like, if you're in Christ and they're in Christ, you are you are together. Yeah, in a in a, in a very real way. Mm-hmm. Um, but this kind of vague, kind of we're all together still. Well. Kinda, I mean, like you're saying at the beginning of the podcast, there's kind of this natural religiosity around. There is some kind of connection, but the the real the real thing uh, happens in Christ when we're kind of inserted into Him. So,
1: yeah, and I would say to take a a, a definite direction that way and just kind of say, actually, part of the truth of the Paschal mystery is that death really does divide us. Yeah. Those of us who are alive and those who are dead, death is this definitive mark between us that we don't we cannot breach any by any vague sense of kind of connection, spiritual connection, whatever. Christ in conquering death bridges that gap for us. And the resurrection bridges that gap and actually gives us the link. And I would say we don't have that link outside of Christ. It's the yeah. same point. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to enter into his life, death, and resurrection and to enter into the life of prayer and charity. Because it's the only way we can have any link with them. And so people who are really suffering, pining away for their loved ones, and rightly so, um, the only link that you can have is uh, to have that in Christ. You know, I remember my grandfather died, gosh, 2006, I think it was. And my grandma you know, just turned 91. Uh, I'm sure she doesn't mind. She's not listening to this anymore. No. Um, uh, you know, a, a few years ago, I asked her, I just kind of said, does it get easier? She goes, no, it gets harder. Yeah. And it wasn't kind of this poor me moment. It was just kind of like, no, it actually gets harder because you've given your entire life to this other person. You're married for 50 years. You've lived on the same street. The vast majority of your life has been knowing this person and then they're gone. That's that's really hard. Yeah. But that Christ in his life death, and re- resurrection, the Paschal Mystery, gives us a real link with them that we can actually do something. This is deeply kind of on the affective level, therapeutic actually. Yeah. Um, and just kind of say, yep, the only connection I can have within the side of heaven is through this life of intercession. Yeah. And you see a lot of older people living that, and it's really beautiful. And um, um, yeah, anyone who kind of looks at those older people, kind of go to daily mass, pray the rosary, is kind of like, this isn't real theology or real faith. It's like, oh, you've misunderstood something, actually.
0: Absolutely. Because they're actually living the faith. They're not there because they're bored. They're actually there because... Yeah. They understand their mortality. Yeah. Have you uh, read Kristen Lauren's Daughter? I have read Volume 1. Okay. I'm reading rereading it. I love it. Uh, and one of the things I'm struck by is um, just the, the kind of the, the intensity of medieval life, yeah. medieval peasant life of like, death is real. They just went through a, a really harsh winter. And um, I think Kristen's like 18 right now. If you haven't read this book, you've got to read it. It's amazing. At least the first one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just struck by like death is um uh such a such a a part of their life, and suffering is so um it's just it 's part of the fabric of of their life and we've just figured out how to kind of kind of um, inoculate ourselves against it mm-hmm. and kind of just like uh control it kind of put it in boxes put all these sick people away, put all these dying people away so that we can kind of live our perfect life and just never have to even think about that and be in relationship to it. And not to be morbid, but just to say that, like, that's just not how human beings have ever lived. Yeah. And that's the point I wanted to kind of end with. I don't know
1: how much time we have. You're keeping the clock here. Yeah, we got time. Okay, good. Um, is to say um, it's part of the Catholic life of prayer and the Catholic kind of contemplative life that we're all called to in some share as... Uh, as Christians living the spiritual life, um, to kind of keep death before us always, and this meditation, this continual meditation on death, which again, like, it sounds morbid to explicate it that way, but it is just an essential part of living the faith. I have this quotation for you, which is not from the Catechism. From von Balthasar. Um, Close. Um, As death is, strictly speaking, the true end and aim of our lives, I have, for the last two years, made myself so well acquainted with this true best friend of mankind That his image no longer terrifies, but calms and consoles me. I never lie down to rest without thinking that, young as I am, before the dawn of another day, I may be no more. And yet nobody who knows me would call me morose or discontented. For this blessing, I thank my creator every day and wish from my heart I could share it with all my fellow men. That's Mozart. Whoa. Yeah. And so, at at a certain point in his life, I got this from another book, actually, so I don't know exactly what the context is, but it's a letter he wrote to a friend of his, and that you have this guy whose music is just so full of, like, sort of the giddy joy of life, Yeah, um, has that kind of fact before his mind. Because Mozart, although he's a really complicated guy, and von Balthasar's favorite musician, right? Right. Balthasar
0: says that when the angels perform for God, they play Bach, but when they perform for each other, it's Mozart.
1: That's total projection, but yeah, fine, uh, fine. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, no, just to say uh, uh, that you have this this guy who's kind of deeply Catholic in his own way, even though he's troubled, complicated guy, right? You know, uh, and obviously one of the great musicians um, of uh, of the modern period, we should say, you know. But it, just to say that it's it, it's a deep part of Catholic culture to have this uh, continual meditation on death, and it's this kind of reminder of our own mortality. And then it's this great equalizer in the spiritual life, and it allows us to kind of brush away things that are less important and to focus in on more fundamental things um, because it's, it's part of, um, uh, again, kind of religious life culture. So St. Francis has this, this idea of sister death, mm-hmm. right? And he'll say, All praise is yours, my Lord, through sister death, from, whom, from whose embrace no mortal can escape. Woe to those who die in mortal sin, This is St. Francis, right? Uh, Happy those she finds doing your will. The second death can do them no harm. Praise and bless my Lord and give him thanks and serve him with great humility. One of those little prayers of St. Francis. Mm. Um, But also like in both kind of east and west within religious life, um, it's just one of the kind of the hallmarks of the contemplative life, the spiritual life. So the rule of St. Benedict in chapter 4 has this list of what he calls the Bona Opera, which are just these um, kind of constitutive parts of your meditation, your constitutive parts of your daily life in the monastery. And one of them is um, the number 47, is to keep that. Uh, yeah, to keep death before one's eyes daily. And then just every day there's this kind of sense. I think St. Ignatius of Loyola has this yeah, thing, right? Is, when you yeah. go to sleep at night, right? right? You kind of meditate. Right on your own death and being kind of laid out, you know, I didn't include him, but yeah, that's there.
0: Um, yeah, Francis, that was already, Francis is already kind of ecumenical ecumenical enough for me at that
1: point. But, um, just to see that, um, for the monk, for the one kind of consecrating their entire lives to the contemplative life to see every day, this sort of equalizer and this, um, um, yeah, this kind of equalizer of a meditation that just kind of brushes away all that's not essential at that time. Uh, There's also this other figure, John Climacus. Have you heard of him? Mm -hmm. He has
0: this book. Well, I remember I first came to him because Kierkegaard took him as a pseudonym, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I don't know that. Okay, sorry, continue. It's after the 6th century, so I don't really know that sort of
1: thing. I know. Um, No, but John Climacus is this monastic figure in the 7th century, uh, kind of right in the middle of the 7th century. And he kind of gathers up a lot of the wisdom of kind of Eastern, what we would think of, so kind of Egyptian, Palestinian, monastic life. And system, not really systematizes, but it kind of collects it and puts it together in this thing called the ladder of divine ascent, where he's got these 30 steps towards perfection and kind of union with God. And one of the steps is um, the remembrance of death.
0: Mm.
1: It's just kind of part of the monk's daily life. Orthodox monks and nuns read this every Lent. Uh, I think every Advent and Lent, but certainly every Lent, uh, they read this together. And so he has these little kind of sayings, or like these little kind of... Koans, you know, um, yeah. if you want to put it that way. Um, but these little epithets that he, that he puts in there. And he'll say things like, we are to fear death, but not be terrified by death. Because Christ feared death in his humanity. We think of Gethsemane. But he was not terrified. And this shows us the two natures of Christ. It's a bit of Maximus the Confessor, you know, in there as well. Um, but he'll say, the remembrance of death helps to cut through the cares of the world. And that's so true, you know, as well, that um, any of us who have kind of experienced like the death of a loved one, what do you do? You drop everything, right. Right, and you go. Whatever you're doing is not important anymore. And it's supposed to have this sort of effect on our own meditation, it seems.
0: I was just going to insert a little autobiographical note. The only, one, the only time I think I've actually experienced this um, was after my dad had a stroke six months ago, mm. um, where I literally, every night, went to bed thinking, because my grandfather had a stroke and my dad had a stroke. And he sure. was not, my dad was not old when this happened. No. And nor I thought, unhealthy. Right. And I thought, I could have a stroke tonight. Yeah. And I don't, I no lady next to me is going to call 911. <laughs> yeah. And there was about two months where um, that was kind of the final prayer. Um, if It's kind of like live today as, as if you're going to have a stroke tonight. And um, it was profoundly peaceful. Yeah. And it was a grace that was kind of there for a while, and it didn't last. I mean, it's kind of lasting, but it's not, it was like really intense, though, for a bit, and it just cut away all those other cares, like Mm -hmm. Climacus is saying. Like, it just, it sounds at first kind of morbid, but it's like, it's actually very freeing, because it just kind of, it's like, it's like a a bit of cold water just on the face to kind of just wake you up to like, this is the reality, this Mm -hmm. is the truth, so.
1: No, so he, he goes on and on about this, you know, um... He'll say, you know, if you think of death every day, it is a virtue. If you think of it every hour, this is sanctity. <laughs> you know, it kind of goes on and on like this. Uh, he who wishes ever to retain within them the remembrance of death and judgment of God, and at the same time yields to material cares and distractions, is like a man who is swimming and then wants to clap his hands. <laughs> mm. It's kind of funny, actually, yeah. too. Um, but it's, it, it's this experience that you had, um, in a sort of how do you want to say it, existential way yeah. you know with your father i think is what he's trying to kind of grab onto it just says for the one trying to um uh spend everything of their life on this seeking after god and giving their life over to prayer contemplation asceticism the remembrance of death is one of these tools that just helps you get rid of uh whatever else is actually in the long run not important that way um and i think All of us have to try to inculcate this in some way, not just monks in the desert, not just priests, but every single person needs to be able to kind of say, yeah, um, I need to live my life as if this were my last day. We kind of say that in a cliched way, um, but your experience, of course, is much better on that, and just to kind of say, no, this this is very real, and it can happen to us. Um, I've had just the experience of kind of having, you know, my father was quite sick at a point in time when I was in college, kind of a senior year in college, and... Uh, I just remember the experience of him being sick, and I had to kind of run home for that. Just being like, I did just drop everything. Everything, yeah. There were papers. I was a senior. I had, protect, you know, all these sorts of things. It was like, oh, that's the, yeah. not important, right? In that moment, it was like, you go home. Yeah, you know, at that. And uh, thank God he got better. I mean, but I mean, it's uh, when someone when someone dies, and as a priest, we see this that you just try to help people, kind of facilitate that experience, mm-hmm. you know, um, of cutting through all that and trying to show them how Christ is the one who really gives meaning to that experience which just seems so desolate and without meaning, uh, and that a lot of our contemporaries who don't believe in Christ um, experience it as just that, mm-hmm. as just this sort of darkness that you want to try to anesthetize yourself against as much as possible. And, uh, and then that's really the whole meaning of existence, Amen. Um, which shows us the real difference between us and non-believers in that we think this isn't the end, that we're going
0: somewhere bravo that was well done good is that all right good can we clap call it there Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, we could read more
1: Climacus if you want. We could drink it. more bourbon if you want. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm this could be our last that. podcast, man. <laughs> that's
0: right. No, it's, uh, I like it. I like the bread and the patristics. I hope you keep doing that. So, And I also hope this podcast comes out before January. Um, so. Well, that's what I was thinking. Gosh, you know, when you said that, I was like, I, I
1: just presumed we'd be within a couple of weeks here. But, well, hopefully um, we will be.
0: But well I'll, I'll tell Olaf to... There will know.
1: be other Novembers, though. There
0: will be other Novembers. And I think this is a, like you were saying in the last few minutes, so this is a... This is a principle for life, for daily life. This yeah. isn't just about no shave November, you know, which oh, I'm guessing enough. you're not going to do.
1: Well, it's the first. All right. I've had a beard once. I don't think I've ever seen it. You haven't. I yeah. only had it for about two months when I was in New York. It's has quite uh, full though. And it was okay. It was like, okay, I had it for a month and it was good. But um, I find in life, you tell me what you think uh, or what your experience has been. There are no neutral beard people. No, People either really like it yeah. or they really don't like it. Yeah. When I had the beard, the biggest hater uh, was my mom.
0: Yeah. and That there was seems a, to be a general yeah, sentiment.
1: There was a picture on Facebook of me with some of the students from NYU at the March for Life. And, and she just... She, she wrote on my Facebook page, Don't worry, kids. Mom's sending razors. What a horrible thing to say to your son.
0: But she did. <laughs> uh, Mama Licky, man. You know you're going to get the business.
1: Yeah, there's no sugar coating.
0: Well, you can take that uh, beard oil there from uh, my friend uh, Peter Polito. Okay. That's Alpine. That's my Alpinist. That's my favorite. Uh, so, this is the bearded savant. We've given him many shout outs, but you're welcome to oh, take some right. if you'd okay, like. So thank eat. you very much. It's quite good. So, Okay, you got a shout out before we call it?
1: Let's see here. Uh, yes, uh, one of my former students the from NYU. two girls in, No, no, I'm no, not the Brooklyn Knights <laughs> this time. Uh, Deirdre Gaughan, who is a uh, graduate student in psychology in Washington, D.C. Um, whenever uh, Andrea put up the picture of you and me at the uh, Gran Fondo, yes. announcing that I'd be on the podcast, she says, I guess I'll be hearing from you when I do my laundry now. Ah, nice. So shout out to Deirdre.
0: Deirdre, that's a good Irish name.
1: She, Yeah, her whole family has these great Irish names. Yeah.
0: yeah. I got a Deirdre doing a wedding for her in June. Uh, I hope I get the name right though, because it's kind of intimidating. It's like a lot of vowels in that thing. It's yeah, like, yeah,
1: so. yeah. It's the e. It's the i. It's the r. It's hard.
0: I um. I'd like to shout out my old friend Mike Rapp, who I'm missing. You know, I of miss that you are. guy. You know, he's your brother. He's my brother, and he's been a great friend and in companions. We kind of don't do this where we don't we honor each other once a year on our birthday. Sure, but we try not to the rest of the year. Just yeah. joking, kind of. <laughs> um, <laughs> But Mikey, uh, yeah, you just you brought a lot of life, and uh, he kept things um, he kept thing he kept things light, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of his great gifts. He keeps things light. He helps you to hold things gently, um, and it's kind of that Franciscan spirit that he's got. He just he's got an awareness of the, the things that matter, and uh, I I've you know missed that. It was a great gift to me these last few years, and now he's back in Denver, and uh, so, anyways, shout out to my old friend father mike he'll be back at some point and uh but i will see him at christmas soon but again another great podcast you got two down excellent and you can finish that bourbon now and then uh, make your way back to san clemente hopefully not <laughs> raining anymore yeah really and uh and then we'll be back in the new year here um and we'll uh podcast again so it's great to be with you thank you so good to be on catholic po- catholic stuff podcast at gmail.com thanks again for listening awesome.